Glory to God. God's good. You bring your Bibles? Let's get in this morning. Let's make our declaration. Say it with me. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. And I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you today for your word. It is alive. It is quick. It is powerful. It is transforming. It is renewing. It is our health. It is our life. We live by it. We grow by it. And we overcome by your word. We give you praise and glory, Holy Spirit, for what you will do in our lives today. In Jesus' name. And somebody said? Amen. Amen. You know, I thought about that. I, I read a little thought. And it was a great thought. I thought about putting a message together on it. But it is when Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from what? The mouth of God. And so it says that the word of God is the bread of life. And the nation of Israel, when they were traveling through the wilderness, God gave them fresh bread every day. He didn't allow them to carry manna over from day to day. They had to carry fresh bread in their life. They had to go out every day and get fresh bread from the Lord. Amen? And so that needs to be the same way for us. We need to make sure that we're getting a daily fresh word from the Lord. Amen? You need to spend time daily in the word. Let God speak to you from his word. Meditate on the word and get it down deep in your heart. Could you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, I'm going to preach you on the baptism. And uh, Buck, if you put that picture up there for me on the baptism of fire. Hallelujah. There it is. We're going to talk about the transformation of the baptism of fire. Somebody say fire. fire. Somebody say fire is a good thing. Yeah, until it gets on you. <laughs> Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Hallelujah. And times I think about this, our, our son Cody, when he was about two and a half, he was walking and we have a glass, had a fire, the house we were in at that time had, a, had the fireplace there and stuff and, and he just walked and he walked up towards that and he just put his hand on the glass window. And he's like, psst, psst. And it's like, it was real quick, but just in a short time, man, his whole hand blistered up and everything. He found out that fire is hot. Amen. And uh, so some of those things where you, how many, how many know we tell our kids all the time, don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't do this. But sometimes we just need to learn by experience and that. And so I'll just tell you this. He's never touched that window since. Amen. And, uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to talk to you just about this area about baptism this morning from a couple of areas. Read a few scriptures here, and then we'll just go through this message this morning. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized. Somebody say all. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And that's such a powerful truth, that Jesus was there in the desert. But most of them, God, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day 20,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. 
nor murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now look at verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as what? Examples, and they were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. Wow. So, in other words, we're supposed to read that and learn by example. Okay? What that means is, is that when Cody says, hey, I touched that window and it's hot, I know by experience. So you should learn by my example. Don't touch it yourself. Amen. So he'll tell his kids and all that as growing up. But then we do that. We try to, by, by the experience that we have. So God lets us look at people's experiences. He's recorded in his word what happened. And he says, learn from their mistakes so that you don't end up in the same predicament or the consequences that they ended up in. Would you agree? All right. Verse 13 or verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you, such as common to man, but God, which is, but God is faithful who will not, not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Praise God. Thank God for his grace. Amen. He empowers it. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Go with me to Matthew chapter 3, if you would. So here we see that the whole nation, I basically read that because the whole nation was baptized in Moses and everything applied to all, not just to some, but to all. And many times we hear in scripture and we get selective and we part different portions of scripture and we go, well, that's not for me. I'm not called to the ministry. I'm not this. I'm not that. But everything applies to all. Everything God does, he doesn't do for one. He does for all. So all the benefits, all the blessings, all the opportunities, all the word is available to all. Amen. So Matthew chapter 3, and if you would, beginning in um, verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness and saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet, saying, A voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his, straight, make his paths straight. I mean, when you stand up for God, you're not always in a crowd. Amen. Sometimes you just feel like the voice of one standing for truth. Verse 4, And John himself was clothed in camel's hair, uh, probably by Louis Vuitton, and uh, <laughs> with a leather belt around his neck made by Gucci. And his food was locusts and wild honey cooked by Emeril Lagasse. <laughs> and Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sin. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, or many of the religious people that day, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, meaning that our life should reflect the transition that we've made. Verse 9, And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and cast into the what? Fire. fire. So that's another area we want to avoid that. Verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water to repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Now watch this. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? 
and fire. Amen. And his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable what? Fire. fire. Amen. Now go with me to Acts chapter 1. Amen. You're getting your Bible reading in for the whole week. Amen. No, teasing. Acts chapter 1. Beginning in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, meaning Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized what? With water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will we restore the kingdom at this time? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has placed in his own authority. That's a powerful verse to us to remember. People get caught up in everything else. He says, You don't need to get sidetracked by that. When it comes to different things in the Bible, don't get sidetracked, stay on point. And what God is saying, and so when we look at everything, that's why I said a couple of weeks ago, I've been saying to you, all I can tell you with everything happening in our world right now, there's a lot of things that say we are closer to the end than we are to the beginning. If you read this book, we're a lot closer to the back of the book than we are to the front of the book. Amen. And there's a culmination of all things. So God has an appointed time for everything. But he also has an appointed time for your life and for my life. And so my responsibility is to live according to his appointed time for my life, to accomplish his purpose in my life. Because my living to my appointment and fulfilling my purpose is what helps his purpose come to pass. Are you doing all right? And so that's so important. So don't get sidetracked. But look at what he says in verse 8. So he said, don't be worried about that. But you shall receive what? Power, Power when the Holy Spirit has what? Come what? Not in you, upon you. You're born again of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in you. But Jesus said, now the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. And so we were talking about this a couple weeks ago in our, in our men's group on Monday night. And guys, if you don't come, we, every Monday night we try to get together at 6.30 and hang out and just dive into the Word together. So we invite you to come be with us. But look at this. My question is, how many baptisms are experienced to be experienced in the life of the believer? So if you come to Christ, then there are certain baptisms that belong to your life. And, and that every person is supposed to experience and be a partaker of. I believe that Scripture sets three distinct experiences that are to be a part of every believer's life. And baptism is defined in the Greek as this. I put it in there. It means baptize, which is simply pretty easy. It's the Greek word baptize. And it means this, to immerse or submerge. doesn't mean to sprinkle. doesn't mean a little dabble do you. It means to be completely immersed or to be submerged into. Doing all right? To make whelm, to be fully wet, used only in the New Testament, a ceremonial ablution, a washing, especially technically of the ordinance of Christian baptism, or to wash. The purpose of baptism is just this, to immerse, to cleanse, to purify, to completely submerge us into his fullness and purpose for our lives. 
And so I'm going to walk you through the three baptisms that I believe are basically right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. You can read them, but in essence it says, it said, when you get saved, the moment you are saved, for by one spirit we are all baptized into. Now what does baptize mean? To be immersed, to be submerged in. All right? We're all baptized into one body. Amen? And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 39, the people say they listen to Peter preach on the day of Pentecost. They say they're pricked in their hearts, it says. Conviction comes upon them and say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. So he tells them they need to be water baptized. They need to be completely submerged and immersed in water. Amen? And so, in baptism there. And then, in Matthew 3, as we read, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 1, it says of Jesus that he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so that means we're to be completely submerged or immersed into the Holy Spirit. And it also says that you're completely made wet or that anointing now is upon you. Amen? Now, how many know that in baptism, it's all, you're immersed into an element. In baptism, there's always an element, and there's always a baptizer. There's always somebody who's doing the baptism, and there's an, always an element that you are being baptized into, immersed or submerged into. As a believer, the Holy Spirit is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body, completely emerges you into the body, sets you in the body. You become a part of the body of Christ. You're not an individual Christian floating around doing your own thing. You are made a member of, submerged, emerged into the body of Christ. Purpose is for you to function there. Okay? And so with that, he equips us, he gives us, he gives us the ability to function, to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. Then next, we're, we're buried in baptism, water baptism is immersion. And so when you go by a mortuary, they don't just put the caskets on top of the ground and sprinkle a little dirt on top of them. No, you completely bury the old body, the dead, so that, and, and so in water baptism, we're completely immersed. And the significance is, is that like Christ was raised from the dead, we are now raised up in newness of life. We completely bury the old man. And you bury somebody that is completely dead. We don't bury people who are alive. That's a crime. Okay? We bury people who are dead. Amen. And God will not bury you alive. You and I, we choose to die to ourselves. This is the hard part about Christianity. You live in a world, in a society that teaches you no death Christianity. You don't have to die. You just got to make a few subtle changes to your life and everything will be all right. That's not Christianity. Christianity is death, burial, and resurrection. And it is living the resurrected life. Are you doing okay? Amen. And so in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, then we are completely immersed into him, into his fullness. And now his anointing, we are drenched and covered. Last week, when we did the water baptism. Everybody came out there was soaked. Ken and Majid, they were both soaked and completely baptized and completely covered. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. Look inside your outline. So upon accepting Christ. 
We are completely immersed into the body of Christ. We are ceremonially washed and cleansed in water, signifying what the blood of Christ had done for us. And we are refined and purified by fire and empowered to be. That's what Jesus said. You'll be baptized and you shall be. You're empowered. You'll receive power and you shall be. You're empowered to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Empowered to be by the Holy Spirit. Our problem occurs when we begin to redefine and accept the baptisms of God in our lives only by degrees. And never in the full measure of their purpose. Allowing his complete work to be done in our lives. And I'll explain this just a little bit further. So let me ask you this. Or let me just make this declaration to you. Whatever is placed in fire takes on the nature of the fire. Would you agree? Put anything in the fire and it's going to catch on fire. It becomes fire. It takes on the nature of the fire. And is consumed by the fire. And our God is a consuming fire. So if I'm immersed in him, his fire is going to get on me. But if I just go up and touch him, let me put you like this. If I allow myself to be immersed, I'll survive. If I just touch him, I'm going to get burnt. The only way to survive is being fully in. I can't just come in contact with him. I can't just touch it. I can't just take part of it. The only way to survive is to be fully in. Doing okay? Now watch it. Guys, if you'll put up there that first harvest of the wheat. No, skip, skip that one. Go to the other. Uh, so when you, when you get wheat or harvest, then you gather this wheat together, and they put it in bushels, and then they take it over, and they beat it on rock, and it separates the stems and everything else, and all those pieces that breaks everything up, it all falls into a pile. And then they begin to do this. Go to the next one. So then they take it, and they throw it up into the air. And what happens is they do it where the wind is blowing. How remember the story of Gideon? Gideon's down, he's threshing wheat, he's throwing some wheat up in the air, and, and the chaff is blowing away, and they're separating that. To get down to the kernels of actual wheat that are in there, you have to separate the chaff from the wheat. And then whatever the wind doesn't blow away, the heavier stuff, they get down there, and they begin to physically separate that all out to get all the sticks, all the stubble, everything out, and then they put that off the side, and then they completely burn that up because it's of no value. And so that is thrown into the fire so that you come away with the pure harvest. So during the harvest time, fire was used to refine the wheat, removing all the stalks and leftover roots and stubble from the grain that they would burn them so, and from the grain and they would burn them up. So only as to have a pure harvest of grain, the grain was thrown into the air and the loud, light outer husks were blown away by the wind. Then what the wind didn't remove was separated and thrown into fire. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost with two manifestations. He came as wind and he came as fire. There came a sound as a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues like as of fire. For the purpose of purging and refining God's harvest. Amen. To separate the chaff from the wheat in our life. So we need that transforming fire of the baptism. Amen. So watch it. And so 
he came there and to purge, desire to clean and purge that which he has washed with the blood of, the, of his son into a pure harvest and of the wheat to be gathered into his barn. We read that. He's going to purely purge his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. Amen. God's after you. You're the wheat of God. Amen. Hallelujah. You're whole grain. Glory to God. Amen. So what? So the Holy Spirit comes and does this great work in our life. Think about it. God so loved the world that he sent his son to redeem the world. Meaning that each and every one of us is being redeemed. It means to restore us back into his original intent for us in fellowship and union with him in, by, and through the Spirit. You were created to be people of the Spirit. Amen. You live in a world that wants you to live by the flesh, by emotion, by circumstance, and ruled by everything around you. But when I come into the presence of God, He does something in me that burns all that off of me in a way that I can be at peace regardless of the storm that I'm in. You know, sometimes it's hard to sing the goodness of God is running after me when you're going through a trial. Amen. And let me just put you like this. Yesterday, we had the wonderful memorial for little baby Maverick and doing that. And we hear about that. And, and, and the, the other side of that is there, there's, the, there's the heartbreak, the brokenness, the hurt, the loss of that. But on the other side of that, if you don't know the whole story, you, you can miss the whole picture. And so when it comes to ministry, th- th- this is what it is. The reason I'm in the ministry is not because I needed a job. I don't do ministry because I can't do anything else. I have a few skills. I could get a job if I needed a job. Do you understand what I'm saying? In fact, I could have got a anyway, I'll just move right along. I'm in the ministry because God is after people. And the only way he can reach people is through people. And sometimes the way he reaches people is through brokenness and through pain and through loss. Sometimes he can only reach people in ways we don't want him to reach people. And yesterday in the memorial for Maverick, they talked about him being a miracle. And what happened through his life in the eight weeks of his life. And in reality, Maverick touched more people never speaking a word in the eight weeks of his life. And brought people back into relationship with God. And revealed God to people in the medical field and industry there. And people around him who were struggling in areas and doing different things. And people literally, nurses and, 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 and therapists, physical therapists, wrote and said, Because of Maverick, I've recommitted my life to the Lord. I felt God's presence here. I came in contact. So wait, wait, wait. Here's a baby. We're looking at this and it's a law. But God is after people. And sometimes we're going through pain. And how you walk with God through the pain. How you're able to know God's goodness in the pain. The only way you can know that. If you've allowed yourself to be baptized into his body. You're fully immersed and washed in the remission of sin. You're walking in newness of life. And you're filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Then no matter what's happening around you. You can believe that the goodness of God will show up in every circumstance. And so here's the testimony of this little baby that has ministry to multitudes and is continuing on. And people, medical professionals, literally saying, you came into my life, you changed my life. One physical therapist, her father had just died. She came into the room. She was broken. And Carly said, have you ever seen a miracle? 
And she was hurt. And that weekend, but she was just broken in law. And, that, and when she came back in and touched that little baby boy, God, she felt the presence of God and she heard God speak to her. Amen. Powerful. Because God is after people. He doesn't reach them the way we think he would reach them. And yes, we have the lost, we have the broken, but Sam and Carly get to carry. They have the few, two months, and Lord, they had just two months with their little baby boy, but their little baby boy, they are called to the ministry. They're serving God with their life, but yet God gave them a son who would have a ministry all of his own in that short period of time. Not only did they have a joy of walking with them, but God used that little child in those eight weeks to touch life that he could not have reached any other way. And I know it doesn't make sense. It doesn't figure out in our minds. We don't know. Well, God, couldn't you do that some other way? Couldn't you send a witness to them some other way? God, you could have done something. Quit trying to figure out how God should do it. And just rejoice in the fact that he did do it. And that he reached people. And when you get to heaven, Maverick's going to have a harvest of souls when he never spoke a word. That's what an eight-week-old baby did for God without speaking a word. What have you done for him? Who will be in heaven by your life? Kind of a challenge, huh? Can you live up to the standard of an eight-week-old son who never spoke a word, yet reaped a harvest for the kingdom of God? What could God do with your life that you're fully formed in here? Glory to God. Amen. So, think about this. God so loved the world that he sent his son to bring us back into that relationship with him. And he moves in our life in great way. Think about this. He comes to store his nature in our life. See, we are born with a nature that is contrary to God. It carries a disposition of sin. When you're born, you're born with a disposition of sin. Nothing you can do about it. Think about little babies. Little babies get a little older. How many of you know how quickly a little baby's will shows up? How many know that little baby's will is always contrary to your will for his life or her life? Eat these peas. Nope. One of the first words babies learn is, nope. You want this? Nope. Do this? Nope. Come here? Nope. Amen. Disposition to sin. Oswald Chambers defines it like this. That sin, that disposition to sin is this. My claim to my right to myself. Our sin is our claim to the right to our own life. Yes, sir. Subject to no one yes, but ourselves. Amen. Or the disposition of self-realization. I am my own God. I am my own authority. I am my own sovereign. My claim to my right to myself. Genesis 3, 5, this is what the devil said to Adam and Eve. You will be like God. You will be the sovereign of your own life because you will be able to discern for yourself what is good and what is evil. And the challenge that comes for our life when it comes to the baptism of God, we decide to what degree we want. Well, that part's good, but that part's not good. 
That part's good, but that part's not good. I want the anointing. I just don't want to talk in tongues. Because I want to be the sovereign over my own mouth. I will control what words come out of my mouth. I'm not going to allow God to use me to pray in the Spirit to speak His will into the earth. Are you doing all right? Or anything else that comes along with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Think about this. So the temptation of the devil was for man to be as God, a self-sovereign, ruling his own life without being in submission to God. We see and experience the fruit of that choice handed down and manifest in our own life and in the lives of those around us. So sin and its disposition is something that we are all born with and, and we cannot touch it. Nothing you can do about it. You can't touch it, that disposition. Amen. Only God can through redemption. The condemnation is not that we are born with this heredity of sin. But when we hear and realize that Christ came to redeem and deliver us from it, we refuse to let him do so. See, the condemnation, God is not condemning the world for their conduct. It's not just about our sin that Jesus is dealing with. It's not just our immoral conduct. There's no bad enough conduct or good enough conduct. I I like what Donnie Moore used to say it like this. He would say, nothing you can do can make God love you less, and nothing you can do can make him love you more. He just loves you, and he gave his son to redeem you. The thing that causes us to do the things that we do, the acts and the conduct and the things that we get involved in are connected to our self-realization and the ruling of our own life. Being the sovereign of our own life and making our choices being submitted to no one. Are you doing okay? So watch it. When we refuse to allow Christ to deliver us from it, from that moment we begin to move towards the self-damnation by refusing to give up my right to myself. So how is this seen in our day? Well, let me explain it to you by just walking us back through the three baptisms. How do we see this? How does this breakdown happen in our day? Number one, we have redefined being baptized and being immersed into the body of Christ as a functioning member of that body into a casual, occasional attendance of a worship service. You ask most people, are you a Christian? Yes, I go to church. That isn't what being a Christian means. A Christian means being a believer who has understand that I had a disposition to sin of ruling my own life, and I've died to myself, I've been buried with him in baptism, and I'm living with him in newness of life. I'm no longer Lord of my own life. Jesus is now Lord of my life. And I live under his rule and authority, and I live in his kingdom. Are you doing all right? And so as that... But today, if you look at the church as a whole today, that is the definition of the church. Being baptized into the body means I'm baptized. God has set me in the body. For you go on and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those scriptures that I gave you. It says that God has set each member in the body in particular. That when you get saved, God has something that specifically assigns to you. There's a purpose. You are a part of his eternal purpose. And there's a specific part that you play. I was blessed yesterday. I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this ministry. I'm looking at Sam and Carly, who grew up in our church. Sam got saved at the Lord's gym. I'm looking at where he is in ministry today. I'm watching Eli Caron doing the service, who got saved here. His marriage restored here, and now he's on staff at Vantage Point, and he's leading. He's conducting the service. I'm watching all these other people that have got through the years. God has brought through our church, and now they're out doing ministry. Hey, God, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. 
Amen. And, and it helps me because years ago, the Lord said, hey, what if I didn't ask you to be great? What if I just called you to raise greatness? See, you live in a world that want, where you're striving to be great. The only person who's supposed to be great is Jesus. It's not about you. It's about him. And when you make him great, God can do things through your life. So I'm looking back, and Sue and I were talking about it. I said, man, look at that. Look at all that's gone out, what God is you. And then I started thinking, this is what I thought. What if I'd said no to God? What if I'd said no to God? Would any of this be happening? Would any of the people I'm seeing, where would those people be if I had said no? I want you to hear, there are people connected to your life. That's what I said. So for me, I'm hearing about Maverick and the people, his life, and I'm sitting there and I'm having a visual illustrated sermon by the Lord. That because of your obedience and what you allow me to do, I've been able to touch these people through your life. You have a part in kingdom advancement. Are you doing okay? And so allowing God to do that through your life. It's not about making you grace. It's not about giving you a ministry. It's all about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do here. That's why everything we've done over all these years, being here and doing that. That's what we want to continue to do is reach, raise, and release. Can you say amen? And let God reap the increase. Hallelujah. But if we don't allow ourselves to be placed fully in the body, then we miss out of fulfilling our function and our purpose. And so church, being a Christian, is not just casual church attendance. And let me define how that is. Today in America, it's anywhere between once every three to seven weeks that most people go to church. Not Solid Rock, because you guys are a super spiritual church. You guys are amazing. You're like the cream of the crop. If everybody else could just rise to our level, what an amazing world we would have. Because we're here no matter what. Every Sunday we're given, we're sold out, we're locked in. I'm speaking by faith. Amen. So watch this. Secondly, the second thing that happened is man has redefined water baptism as a sprinkling to appease his conscience, but not cleanse his soul. Water baptism is not to appease my conscience. It's to declare that I have a clean heart and a clean soul before God. That I've been washed by the blood, and I'm raised with Him in newness of life. There are some churches and denominations you can get baptized and not even get wet. They sprinkle you, they just dip a finger, touch your forehead, call you baptized. They sprinkle a baby, they do all this kind of stuff. There's no immersion. So I'm saying that we redefine everything. And then we go away feeling, okay, I'm, I'm good. And I've appeased my conscience, but I'm now the walking dead. Amen? And then thirdly, man is redefined or undefined the baptism with the Holy Spirit until there's no more wind or fire to separate and purify the harvest and endure it with power. Think about the Holy Spirit today. Over the years, we've had people come to our church because we're a spirit-filled church, and it's like, eh, I don't need any of that. And I'm okay, but fine. Years ago, we tried in different ways to make some changes, and then the Holy Spirit said to me, you know what, this isn't what got you here. You need to stay true to your calling. Stay true to your course. And in every one of our lives. See, if you keep changing by whether people accept it or not, the gospel isn't based upon acceptance. It's based upon proclamation. Yeah. 
We're not called to make people accept. We're called to proclaim. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach, not go into all the world and conform. Don't go into all the world and make people happy. Go into all the world and make people hear and declare the truth. Are you doing okay? And so with that, but with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let's go back to our self-sovereignty. Well, I believe I can be anointed, but without having this, without having to do this, without having to do that. None of that happened. The Holy Spirit came as wind, and he came as fire. Wind blows away the chaff. Fire burns up the stubble. Amen. You need it all burned up. Because what you allow to remain is what the Lord told the nation of Israel. What you allow to remain becomes thorns in your side and pricks in your eyes. It becomes a hindrance to you, the stuff you remain. Well, I think I can hold on to this and do this. No, we need the whole thing. So what are the results? The results are a church or a body that is incomplete and missing parts. Believers who are not raised to new life in Christ through the burial of baptism and who are powerless and still dealing with the chaff and stubble of their old life because they have not experienced the transforming power of the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. Amen. Let me just go back to this when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Think about the whole issue around praying in other tongues or the heavenly language that God gives you as a sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of Acts, every place in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, there was an accompanying sign, a confirmation, a confirming sign that you got it. When Peter went to Cornelius' house, he said, hey, while I was preaching, this is what he said, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did on us. We heard them speaking with other tongues, and we knew that God had given them the same gift that he had given to us. But what happens to us is that if I'm not dead to myself, my self-sovereignty doesn't like the thought of doing something that doesn't make sense to my mind. Tongues makes absolutely no sense to your mind. And so because you won't relinquish the sovereignty of your mind to the declared purpose of God, you walk powerless. Watch this. Jude 20 says, keep yourself in the love of God, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit, praying with the Spirit, not praying with your understanding, praying with the Spirit. Amen? And deal with that. See, I can tell people, getting uncomfortable right now. It's all right. I don't care. Praying with the Spirit. So how do you pray with the Spirit and pray and call it your under praying your understanding and call it praying with the Spirit? You can't. First Corinthians 14, Paul says this. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. So what I do? I will pray in the Spirit and I will pray in the understanding. I will sing in the Spirit and I will sing in the understanding. We think we're praying in the Spirit if I get a goosebump when I pray. Being serious. If I pray and I feel the presence of God, I must be praying in the Spirit. If I'm saying, I love you, Jesus, I love you, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me put you like this. Your prayer in your natural mind is limited to your intellect. It's limited to the words. It's limited to the words you think God needs to hear. Your prayer and your understanding is limited to the words you think 
God needs to hear you say to him in prayer to get what you think you need from God. And so I think real hard. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. And then we just go in to talking about needs and wants and desires. And the way we think he should do things. Instead of going, Father, at any moment, out of your innermost being can flow rivers of living water. At any moment, out of your innermost being can flow rivers of living water. And when I'm praying in the Spirit, Paul says, I'm praying the perfect will of God for the saints. Praying in the Spirit releases you to pray the perfect will of God for the saint. The problem is, I got some chaff in my head. There's a bunch of sticks up there that keep me from receiving and dying to my under. I don't know. What, what's it? it doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to make any sense. It's spirit and it is life. Amen? Amen. Nothing God asks us to do makes any sense. That's why it's called the just shall live by faith. We live by faith. We trust God. We believe God. And when I pray in the Spirit, listen to what Paul said. He said to Timothy, fan to a flame the gift that is on the inside of you. Praying always. How do you do it? Pray always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Amen. So how do you pray with prayer and supplication in the spirit? Not in the understanding. He didn't say pray for me in the understanding. Pray, Paul, Paul never asked people to pray for him what they thought he needed. He, he, said, he said pray for an open door. Pray to God. Do it. Lord, give Paul an open door and then begin to pray in tongues. Father, move in this situation. God, God, put somebody in your heart and then begin to pray in the spirit for that person. Amen. Because you're only limited. In fact, it was so funny. Um, I, I posted it. It's a great video. But it was uh, an old one, and it came up as a memory. But it was this guy, and he's talking about how women ask too many questions. Now, they don't get mad at me. Just hold on here for a minute. <laughs> but asked how women ask too many questions. So he's out in the garage. He cleans the garage, and he gets a text. And the text says, pray for Tom. He is in a terrible accident. So he comes, and he says to his wife, honey, I, I just got a text from... from uh, I forget the lady's name, but I, I just got a text. It said, pray for Tom. He's in a terrible accident. And his wife says, well, was he hurt? I said, I don't know. Just pray, pray for Tom. He was in a terrible accident. Well, what hospital is he in? I don't know. It just says, pray for Tom. He's in a terrible accident. Well, was anybody else hurt in the accident? I don't know. It just says, pray for Tom. He was in a terrible accident. So we want all the details. We want all the details about everything instead of just praying for Tom. How many know the Holy Ghost knows all the details? So let him pray. 
Just let him pray. Just let him, just begin to pray. Father, I, I need to pray for Tom right now. I don't know how to pray, so you, you help me. You help me. Go, go with me to Romans chapter 8 real quick. My time's all up. Justin, you come back to keyboards, please. Verse 23, and not only they, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. We even ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. Get this. For we do not know what. Somebody say what. We do not know what to pray as we should. So it didn't say we didn't know how. Paul's not saying we don't know how. He's writing to a spirit-filled church in Rome. We are a spirit-filled church. Can you say amen? amen? So he's writing to a church and he says, hey, he says, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession through us. The Spirit himself makes intercession through us. And this is what the way I will tell it to you. The best way to illustrate this. Every time Jesus came in contact with the demon, that demon spirit in the person used the person's voice to talk to Jesus. God says, what I will do is I will put my spirit in you and I won't make you, I won't by force use your voice. I will ask you to let me use your voice. And if you will let me, I will speak through you by my spirit. You will give my spirit a voice in the earth. And every time you pray in the spirit, every time you allow the Holy Ghost to flow through you, you're allowing God's voice to be spoken into the earth. You're saying, God, here I am. You know, I'm just a telephone. I'm just a communication device. You have something you want to say. You have something that you need to declare and you do it by your word. So God, talk through me. Amen. Now watch. He makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind, what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. So how do I pray the will of God, God's perfect will over every situation? I pray in the Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to get, keep going and get in there, but this is what's happened to us. That man, because he doesn't like giving up his sovereignty, he keeps looking for passages in Scripture to get him out of praying in tongues. Seriously. So we go to, oh, if I pray in tongues and I don't have love, I might sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. I'd rather walk in love than pray in tongues. That isn't what it says. It says, if I pray in tongues and don't have love. So it's checking you up on your love walk, not praying in tongues. It says, praying in tongues doesn't excuse you from walking in love. If you're not walking in love, your prayer is not being productive. Amen. 
So you don't self-justify yourself because you pray in the Spirit. Because God will hold you accountable for not walking in love whether you pray in the Spirit or not. Are you doing all right? And then we get over, hey, it, what, what do I profit you if I come to you speaking? Then we get over, nobody speak in tongues unless they're interpreting. And we completely misunderstand that that's talking about talking to you. Paul says, if I come to you, what do I profit you if I speak in a tongue? But Paul says, he that prays in an unknown tongue in verse 2 doesn't speak to men. He speaks to God. So Paul says, when you come to men... Speaking the understanding. But when you're speaking to God, you can pray in the Spirit. And you build up your most holy faith. You edify yourself. And you speak mysteries to God in the Spirit. And God brings revelation into your life. And the life of God comes alive on the inside of you. And the devil says, hey, I don't want that happening in your life. So I'll make you religious. And I'll make you take the baptisms of God by degrees. I don't want you baptized into the body. I want you just thinking that casual church attendance is all right. I don't want you walking in newness of life. I just want you a little wet baptism. I don't want you filled with the power of God. I want you to have a reason to hold on to your own understanding and pray in your own language and not let God declare His will in the earth through your life. But you say, no dice, devil. I'm dumb enough to believe God. I'm too stupid to argue with the Creator. I'm not smart enough. Until I can turn this into something else. I'll not question the one who can. God is able to raise up of these stones. Children. Until you can change something. Don't argue with the one who can. Until you can speak and create something out of nothing. Don't argue with the one who did. Say, God, I believe you. Stand with me this morning. Listen to what Michael Brown said as I close this morning. Listen to this. I love this. This is what he said. You cannot choose between the spirit and fire. They are inseparable, one and the same. They are two baptisms. One in the spirit and the other in fire. There are not two baptisms, one in the Spirit and one in the fire. There is one baptism only in the Spirit and with fire. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, He arrived with tongues of fire. 120 men and women were individually endued and supernaturally empowered. Heaven's power invaded earth. And those 120 people shook their world upside down. Amen. But what happened? Today, we have plenty of fanfare, but very little fire. We have plenty of formulas, but very little flame. We're high on utterance and low on unction. We lack the holy heat of His presence. We must ask ourselves, what has happened to the mighty baptism from on high? God, what did we let slip? What do we need? We need a renewed hunger today to be immersed, soaked, saturated, dunked, almost to the point of drowning in His enabling power and presence. If we desire to see the overwhelming flood tide of His waves and power and renewal sweep across our nation and our land. Something has to begin with us. Every move of God began with people who were hungry for God. It doesn't come, but God moves through people to do what He wants to do in the earth. He got 120 people 
to wait in an upper room, to be endued with power. We ask ourselves, today we try to keep our self-sovereignty and still desire the fullness of God, but on our terms. You can't have God's fullness on your turn. There has to be that place that God, let your fire consume me. Let the chaff be burned up. God, if I've let stubbles and things come back in, I just feel God pressing our church and asking, I wonder if you would be the few. Evan Roberts started a revival in Wales in the 1900s. And just a young high school, just a young college boy, and just a bunch of young college kids got together and started praying. And they just prayed and sought God and prayed and sought God. And God changed the nation of Wales and swept across that country. And then when they wrote to him at Azusa Street, they say, heaven, what do we do? He says, keep pressing into God in prayer. Keep praying in the Spirit. And this is what he said, don't sing too much. Because too much singing lifts the burden off of prayer. And you get caught up in exaltation instead of pressing in. So here's my question. Is anybody hungry for the fire? If anybody want to move of God, is anybody willing to move and say, God, start with me. Burn up whatever you need to burn up. Is anybody again hungry for the Holy Ghost and fire in your life? Then move right now to this altar in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're here today and you're saved, you're born again, and you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit in just a moment, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. And the Bible says that in that moment, the Holy Spirit fell in that place. In that moment, the Holy Ghost came into that place. And the presence of God is here right now. And God's going to set down upon your life. And you're going to sense the fire of God come upon your life. And you're going to sense something begin to stir up in your spirit. Pastor Cole, come up here. You're going to sense something begin to stir up in your spirit. It's going to be welling up on the inside. There's going to be a bubbling on the inside of you. And all you have to do is let go of the sovereignty of your mind and allow God to have your voice and begin to pray. And let the Holy Ghost begin to flow out of you. And the fire of God will begin to burn and work a purging in your life. And you'll feel things that have been troubling you and shackles that have been around you and hindering is in your life and God will move and begin to remove the chaff off of your life and the power of God will bring a cleansing and a power and anointing upon your life afresh and anew hallelujah hallelujah come on just begin to pray just begin to press in just tell God have your way Lord have your way in my life I'm hungry God start a move and start it with me today God change our church change our county oh God hallelujah hallelujah